Well, good morning again. Uh, again, special welcome if this is one of your newer or first times. And if this is uh, one of your first times or you're relatively newer, I'd love to, to connect with you a little bit. After the service, I'll be right up here in the front. Uh, it's been a few moments up here, so I'd just love to connect with you a little bit. Um, but this morning, we are in our third week of Advent. Advent means coming or arrival, where these, these four Sundays uh, previous to Christmas, where we uh, remember the, the coming of Jesus, the arrival of the Christ child. And so we spend these few weeks uh, concentrating on the narrative of Christmas, on what all is going on, what is happening in all the various characters, and what the story of Jesus or the story of Christmas teaches us about the nature of God and what it teaches us about the nature of our own life and how it intersects with our life of faith as we continue to try and follow and pursue life with God. We've been looking at the Christmas narrative in various parts of it to try and understand various, various characters and people in their story. And this morning we're going to come to Elizabeth's interaction with Mary. Now Elizabeth, you might remember if you're familiar with the story or maybe you were here just a couple of Sundays ago, you might remember that Elizabeth is Zechariah's wife. She was thought to be uh, too old to have any children. Her and Zechariah had lived for many years without having any children, and yet the angel comes and tells Zechariah that, that she indeed will become pregnant, and she will become pregnant and give birth to who becomes known as John the Baptist. Mary is a relative of Elizabeth, so this interaction that we see between Mary and Elizabeth was not uncommon in the cultural time. A woman, when she was pregnant, would go spend those months with her relatives, with the other women of her family, to spend that time caring for them and being encouraged by them along the way. So the interaction that we see between Mary and Elizabeth was a cultural normal thing for them to go be together, but you have Mary, who has her own experience with the angel, and Elizabeth, who has an experience with the angel, coming together, and we experience that interaction between them, tells us something about the nature of God, tells us something about the nature of our life with God, what is meant by our life with God, and how we continue to pursue a a deeper life, meaningful life in His kingdom. So I'm going to read for us Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. If you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to open up there and kind of keep your finger there. We're going to be there all morning, or you can follow along on the screens uh, behind or on the sides. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Now Luke, who's writing this story here, he's a a masterful storyteller. Just wonderful in the way he tells 
stories. And like all good storytellers, there's the surface story. There's what's going on on the surface. And then there's layers of that story. There's deeper meaning, deeper significance of what is happening beneath the surface that if we pay attention to might let us know a little bit more about the nature of God. There's more theological, philosophical kind of understanding of our own life that's beneath the surface. So there's what's happening that everyone can see. And then Luke tells a story in such a way to kind of invite us to look deeper, to look what's going on underneath the surface. He's been doing that all throughout the Christmas narrative, and he'll continue all the way through his Gospel of Luke. He'll say what's going on on the surface, and there's stuff rumbling beneath the surface that we may pay attention to things that we can learn. For Zechariah, in his story, the, the story on the surface was that God hears our prayer. That God hears our grief and God hears our struggle and he hears our prayer and he answers our prayer. So there's the surface level. But beneath the surface of God answering our prayer in the story of Zechariah is that we ought to be at the place where God's presence is. That when things may be going chaos and things may be going all topsy-turvy, that we ought to do what we can to be faithful of going to the place where God regularly meets us. And so we learn to do that through the story of Zechariah. Last week we looked at Gabriel's interaction with Mary. And on the surface, Mary's story is that she's going to become pregnant with this child who would become Jesus and she was to give him the name Jesus. So on the, on the surface level, there's this virgin who's going to be pregnant. But beneath the surface, if you pay attention long enough, beneath the surface, we remember that we are called to be vessels through whom Jesus is going to come into this world. That we are called to be vessels through whom Christ comes to this world and his love and mercy and goodness is met by other people. And this week, the story of Mary and Elizabeth on the surface is just the story of a young mom-to-be going to be with her relatives and receiving care and nurture along the way. But the underlying story, beneath the surface story, is how the gift of God's grace moves us. How, how grace, when it interacts with us, can move and stir up in us. And that's what I want to pay attention to today. As important as the surface level stories are, as important as that first level story of, of a mom-to-be going to be with an older mom-to-be, the intergenerational mentoring that goes along the way, as important as that is, one relative passing on to the next, as important as that is, what I want to spend time this morning looking at is that beneath the surface story, how God's grace moves us. And in the scripture, in the passage here, I see it moving us in three different ways. And the first way that God's grace, when it interacts with us, God's grace moves us to joy. Moves us to joy. This is what the words that Elizabeth says, that at your greeting, the baby inside of me leaped for joy. At your presence, at the greeting of Mary, because within Mary was Jesus, and this greeting brings joy. For the arrival of Jesus brings joy. That all chaos and things going on in the world because the one who will one day make all things right has come. And Jesus brings hope. Something new is happening. Something fresh is happening. Jesus is here. 
there's joy. Even in the midst of turmoil and questions and unraveling culture and chaos that's going on, there's still joy. Elizabeth experiences it in the grace that Jesus meets her with. And you and I have had similar experiences. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. While I don't know every aspect of our story, I'm sure that there was a time when things in your life were not going all so well. Things at work or things in the neighborhood or things with your family. Things were not going the way you wanted them to go. Things just seemed like they were going, going down or they, were, they weren't happening the way you wanted them to happen, right? But then you were reminded about God's grace. Something out of the blue, something surprised you and something that you weren't looking for reminded you of God's goodness and His blessing. It might have just been the simple sunrise that came up that morning. While your work day was crazy, as you were driving home, you saw the sunset and the colors that lit up the sky and you were reminded of God's goodness. In all of this chaos, in all of this things that are going on, you're reminded of the goodness. It might have been in a good conversation with a friend where someone just picks you up and reminds you that, yeah, chaos is happening. Yeah, your life is not going the way you wanted it to go. Yeah, I understand all that. But somehow the goodness of a friendship and the sweetness of a conversation just reminded you of God's goodness, God's grace, God's blessing in your life. You, you've had moments like this. I know it. I have. You may not even have words to say what it was. You can't describe it, but there is a stirring in you. When you saw the sunrise or when you had that conversation or when that gift came to you or when something happened, declaring that all is not lost, that God is indeed good, that he is still on the throne and his kingdom will not end. And you were reminded that even in a small bit of grace and that stirred in you, it moved you and it brought more joy to you. This is what we celebrate in Christmas. This is what the narrative of Christmas is all about. That God has come to us in the person of Jesus. He's seen all of our brokenness and all of our rebellion and all of our darkness and seen all of the stuff that our chaos has happened and unraveling on our world. And he has not left us on our own. He's not left us to figure it out on our own. But he has graciously and humbly come to us and offers us hope and eternal life and life now abundantly because grace has shown up. And when grace like that shows up, well, it moves us to joy. The coming Messiah, the one who will right all the wrongs, who will turn everything right side up, this brings joy-filled hope to no matter what is going on in our world. Individually, as families, as communities, as a country, as a world, no matter what is going on, the grace of God in the Christmas narrative is that God has spoken and God has come that the darkness and the brokenness, the rebellion and everything else that we see in the world will not have the last word. For God has come to be with us. And because of Jesus and because of his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace, well, there's joy. In the midst of sorrow, in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, there's still joy. Because the one who will right all things is coming to the world. I think one of the key indicators of a person growing in their life with Jesus is, the, is their level of joy 
in life. Not that everything goes well in their life, not that they're always just kind of on cloud nine, but there's this deep well of joy that you just simply cannot get rid of because grace has interacted with me because I've seen the goodness and the mercy and the blessing and the forgiveness of Jesus. When the gift of grace comes to you, it moves you to joy, stirs up joy in your life. But there's a second thing that we see in the passage because the gift of grace moves us not only to joy but moves us to fellowship, moves us to fellowship. Mary and Elizabeth, their relatives and their interaction reminds us of the need, the crucial need for Christian fellowship and the way in that plays, the role that plays in the life of a believer. Mary and Elizabeth are both recipients of God's grace. One has an answer to prayer for for years had been praying for it, and yet God's grace comes, and so she's the recipient of grace. And the other is the recipient of God's grace in this miraculous conception that she's going to bear Jesus. And when you experience grace like that, it wells up joy, and it moves you to others to share it with others. i got to tell you this good news that I've just experienced in my own life. I, I've experienced the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy and the life that Jesus has come to give me, and it moves me, and it moves me in such a way that I'm drawn to you. I need to tell you about this goodness. I need to share this joy. I can't stop but sharing it. And so Mary and Elizabeth, they run to each other. They go to each other and they share their joy. I don't know where I heard it for the first time, but I've heard it a number of times that a shared joy is double joy and a shared sorrow is half sorrow. There is something about relationships that draw us together that when you have a joy and you share it, it gets doubled. It increases when you share it with others. And the same, or likewise, when you have a sorrow, when you share it with others, it, it, it is shouldered by both. And so now it's half a half sorrow. I told you that both Mary and Elizabeth were recipients of God's grace, this joy that was in them. But remember their story. Because while they're both recipients of grace, they're also both fearful and have anxiety and unanswered questions. Mary was told by Gabriel that she was going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, but there's all sorts of unanswered questions in the midst of that, right? There's all sorts of rumors going around the city of Nazareth. What's going on with that young teenage girl? So there's all sorts of fear and anxiety in Mary. So while she was the recipient of God's grace and while she has this blessing, there's all sorts of insecurities and uncertainties and unanswered questions that are rumbling around in her. Elizabeth, she'd been the recipient of God's grace, answered prayer, but you don't think she had her own level of fear and anxiety, an aging woman pregnant? Was this going to be a viable pregnancy? Can, can a woman my age actually give birth and have it be a viable pregnancy? What's this going to do to my own body? Will my body suffer along the way? And all the fear and the anxieties. Can you imagine the fear and anxieties that Elizabeth and Mary were carrying with them? But when they came together, not only was their joy double, but their sorrows were shared and it was a happy sorrow. They shared it with one another. Because a shared joy is double joy and a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. What we notice about this relationship 
They continue to strengthen and encourage one another. It's mutually edifying. Mutually edifying. It's not a one-way street, in other words. It's not just that Elizabeth, the older one, is going to pour into Mary, the younger one. But Elizabeth, the older one, needs Mary, the younger one, to encourage her as well. It's mutually edifying. Both are lifted up. Both are strengthened. Both are encouraged. Because they run and the fellowship that they experience strengthens and encourages them. This is one of the reasons why as a church we push against anonymity. Where we don't want you to come in and just spend months and months and months just coming in, filling a seat and leaving. But we want to get you connected into a life group or a young families group or a married group or a men's group or a women's group or some other place. So no one, someone can know your name. That's why we have question of the day even. To just start the process of getting to know one another, to be a part of the fellowship, to be a part of a family. Because when that happens, joy can happen and strength and encouragement can happen. That you're not walking this road alone. There's just a synergy that happens when brothers and sisters come into a fellowship in a community that moves us more deeply into God's grace. And no matter how long you've been following Jesus, it might be for minutes or for decades, at some point in your life with Jesus, at some point in your walk with Christ, you're going to need the encouragement and strength of another brother or sister to come alongside you. Because there will be times when the grace of God is so good, so tangible in your life that it just consumes you. And then there are other times where it just feels dry and you need someone to encourage you. Earlier this year, I was going through a personal challenging time and I shared my journey with our elders and asked for their prayer in the situation to, to, for wisdom and for guidance and they did. They prayed with me and they prayed for me in that situation and one of the elders pulled me aside after the elder board meeting and they said that they'd gone through something similar that I had been going through. It wasn't the same issue but it was a similar issue and so he offered to take me out to coffee that week and we did and at that coffee table, at the coffee house, at that table there, we shared part of our story. And all of a sudden, the sorrow that I was feeling was shared sorrow, and it was half sorrow. And I met the grace of God through a person who shared in fellowship with me. And I never doubted God. I didn't you know, throw my faith out the window. And some, but I just simply needed a brother in Christ to encourage me to remind me. And I've been following Jesus for years. But I needed fellowship because the grace of God moves us to fellowship, mutually edifying fellowship. And I needed to be reminded that God saw my struggle and my pain and my doubt and my insecurity. And because of Jesus, he can transform that into redemptive things. I needed that encouragement. I'm sure that you've had situations, maybe you're in one right now, that you need the fellowship of encouragement and strength. So my encouragement to you, find a place. Find a place to belong, a place in the fellowship, life groups and young adults and young families and men's and women's groups. Let us help you find a place to belong. And if you have a place like that, if you have people that you can share your joy and you can share your sorrow, well then receive that as a gift from God. 
because that is the gift of God's grace that enables us to have fellowship, right? I told you there's three in the passage. So not only does grace move us to joy and move us to fellowship, but the third way is that it moves us to worship. There's a question that Elizabeth asks in the passage that unlocks this joy for us. She asks it in verse 43, if you're paying attention. She says, why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord would come and be with me? What did I deserve to receive this joy, this gift, this grace, that you would come and visit me and and spend time with me and encourage me? Her question really is, well, what is this all about? What have I done? What am I that you would come to me? And it reminds me of Psalm 8, where the psalmist writes this. When I, in Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, it says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Ultimately, it's a recognition that the gift of God's grace has come to us in Jesus and And we recognize, who are we that God would come to us in this way and in this manner? Why would he come and and meet us? To which the psalmist ends the psalm with saying this phrase, says, Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name. In fact, Psalm 8, if you want to look it up later, it starts and ends with that same phrase. Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And when I think of everything you have done, the stars that you've placed inside, who are we that you are mindful of us? But Lord, how majestic your name is in all the earth. When you get a glimpse of the grace of God, the forgiveness, the life, the mercy, the generosity, the goodness that he has blessed you with, it moves you to worship. A life of gratitude, a life of celebration, a life of obedience to Jesus where we reorient all of our life and our values and our structure and our time and everything around him because he is so good. So good. Not because of my accomplishments. Because he's so good. Because love is unending. When you see the extent extent of his love for you, for his loving kindness, well, it changes everything. And it moves me to not just sit back, but it moves me to worship. As we walk through the Christmas narrative these last few weeks, we've looked at Zechariah and Mary and now Elizabeth. Each one of them asks a question in their story. Zechariah asks a question like, how can I be sure that you're going to do this, God? It's kind of an arrogant question that he asks. Mary asks a little more humble, more faithful question. She asks, how will you do this? I believe you will do it, but I don't know how you will do it. Elizabeth's question, she comes along and goes, why would you do this for us? Why would you do this for me? Let me suggest that all three of their answer is the same. The answer to all three of their questions is the same. But God is so gracious that his love for us is displayed not because of what we have done or what we will do, but simply because of the nature of who he is, for his desire, for his love for us. See, the most amazing thing in this whole Christmas narrative, this whole thing, the whole most amazing thing is not the pregnancy of Mary. It's not even the birth of Jesus some 2,000 years ago that a child was born. That's not the most amazing thing. 
the most amazing thing in the whole narrative is that grace has come to us in Jesus. That God has come to be with us. That God is giving us himself in the midst of our chaos. He's offering new life, eternal heavenly life full of joy and goodness now. That's the most amazing thing. And because he is with us, because he rescues us, because he sets us on a new trajectory that stirs us with an eternal joy, and it leads us to a joyful fellowship and ultimately to be astonished at who he is to joyfully worship him. Now, I don't know all the things surrounding in your life. If things right now are smooth sailing, firing on all cylinders, or if you feel like you're just kind of barely hanging on. But the Christmas narrative, well, it reminds us that joy is here, that all hope is not lost, that things are not going to hell in a handbasket. For the one who will right all the wrongs has come, and he is with us. And if we receive that, that gift of grace, and if we reorient our life around him, well, it's the source of this eternal joy. I pray that that would move you, that that joy would move you to deeper steps of fellowship because a shared joy is double joy and a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And in all of that, it would move us to astonished worship of God, orienting our life around him because Jesus is our Savior and he has come to us to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and to lead us to a life everlasting. And if you don't know that, if you don't know that truth, that Christ as your King and as your Savior, then perhaps in these moments you want to declare your need for grace. And you, we can walk, and I'd love to walk and talk with you about what it looks like to grow in this aspect of grace where you receive the love of Jesus in your life. But if you do know Jesus and you have this walk with Christ, as your Savior, that we come celebrating the grace. We come with joy. We come knowing that the one will right all wrongs is here with us. And in either case, we're expecting that as we come, we meet Jesus. And the grace of Jesus stirs in us and moves us to heavenly living. This is why we're going to come to the communion table this morning. This communion reminds us of the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. It reminds us that he has not only come to lay in a manger some 2,000 years ago, but ultimately came to take upon himself our sin and our wrongdoing and our rebellion and conquers death on the cross and victoriously resurrects and sits at the right hand of God even now. That we have our life secured in him that we can continue to live in his way.